Hello and welcome to Inside Retail, the podcast brought to you by Edited, the world's leader in retail intelligence. In this podcast series, we explore both the opportunities and the challenges that the retail industry is facing with myself, Grace Hill, Edited's Director of Retail Strategy. With COVID lingering, sky-high oil prices, low unemployment, and the rising cost of living, on today's episode, we are discussing how consumers and retailers are bracing themselves for an impending global recession. We sat down with Juliana Prather, Chief Marketing Officer at Edited, to discuss critical strategies for trading during these uncertain times. She built her career in global retail and brand strategy, starting in worldwide sales for iconic accessory brands such as Givenchy and Nine West Group, gaining expert knowledge of the global retail landscape through traveling extensively to Asia and Latin America as the leader of Liz Claiborne's portfolio of brands. In our conversation, Juliana highlighted how it is increasingly critical to keep the focus on the customer, particularly during times of economic uncertainty. She emphasized that the brands that double down on great experience, dependable customer service will win. It may cost retailers less to deliver more to your loyal customers than new customer acquisition. So let's get into it. Juliana, hello. How are you? I am great, Grace. This is such a great podcast. I'm such a big fan. Oh, well, thank you. (laughs) Well, it's great to have you on finally. So we prepared some little icebreakers just to get us going. But the first question is, if you met someone who hadn't heard of edited before, how would you describe it in three words? Mm, Just what you need. But I think I think that's that's four four words. I know so that doesn't count. I think I might say future of retail, or I might say sort of like data that matters. Or oh, I like that. You need us. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Data connect to customer, and there's I slipped in two, but we're not going to count the proposition. But I think there's something about the tools you need now. Amazing. And what trend are you loving right now, personally? Oh, I am loving Palazzo pants. <laughs> so I think after the heat of the summer, after elegance meets comfort, ways to celebrate fabric, prints, designers, product at all price, Palazzo pants, I think, are just the greatest thing. And I hope more brands find ways to bring them into fall. What metric or KPI would your coworkers say that you're obsessed with in business? I think reach. I think touching the customer. And I think that's true for marketing as it's true for what we help our customers do with their digital outreach and sales. It's really, are you effective? Are you measuring that actually people are actually listening? Amazing. And what's an emoji that you use 90% of the time? Oh, the winking emoji. <laughs> Always. I'm always winking the emoji. So it's, it's flirty. It's human. It's, um, the winking emoji is flirty, but also humble. Um, lets you admit that, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a direct conversation. You want to touch out to them. You're not taking yourself too seriously. There we go. I think that's a perfect one. And what do you prefer, Slack or email? I have to say, I have been a slow convert to Slack. Uh, I was email for kind of the historical records, but I find that our emails have become, you know, even in the best organization techniques, harder to manage. And so the Slack approach of keeping conversations is 
is working. And what's the first thing that you do when you get to the office? It's a tie between getting coffee and checking the calendar. I constantly look at calendars. (laughs) Well, you're a busy lady and you're also, you know, an expert coffee drinker that I know from getting to know you. So, (laughs) Yes, has to be good quality coffee, of course. And our final question on this point is, what is your favorite city to travel to? You know, there's so many beautiful cities and I know for sure I haven't seen them all, but I love as a secret hub, uh, Bologna in Italy. I love it because it's a secret city that not that many people know of, but it's a city of food and it's a university city. And what's interesting, besides the people are wonderful, is it's a very old city. So buildings that date back to 800, 900, that by choice, the citizens have decided not to let become museums. They live there, they work there. And so for being an old city, it's one of the few in the world where people really still live and keep alive the main squares. So it's a great place to, and you can bounce to anywhere in Italy from there quite easily. Oh, well, I need to book my trip. Yeah, definitely. Um, (laughs) So Juliana, you've had huge experience working for some of the world's greatest brands, including Givenchy, Nine West Group, and also for Liz Claiborne's portfolio of brands. How have you seen your role change since you transitioned from CMO for retail brands to CMO at a tech company? I started in sales and moved into sales and marketing and merchandising. And the area that I specialized in in the beginning of my career was running the global teams. And I cannot think of a better training ground because you're having to learn about what the customer wants if you're taking a brand from one country to another country. If you're seeing the differences of how the consumer reacts to it, in apparel, if the product fits, if the trends make sense, if the pricing makes sense, if the logistics is possible. So it was a great way to really understand the core essence of a brand and what people saw in it. Because if you're buying a brand in a different country, just think of when Americans buy Hermes, it's much more expensive. It's different. It's got a heritage that maybe refers to something not natural or local. What inspires Americans buying Hermes is very different than what might inspire Russians from buying Hermes or Spanish from buying Hermes. So it's fascinating, those differences. Mm -hmm. And it was a great way to learn about messaging. Moving into technology that really helps retail, the bridge there for me is I was really managing teams and in the heart of it for different brands as the digital revolution. When we went from 5% of our sales online to 20, and that was outrageously fast. And COVID has pushed that up to 50 or 60 for brands. So as we've seen this revolution to be a part of that, that was really the bridge in my career and really drove me. I saw the power of metrics. I saw how small brands could grow faster. Mm -hmm. You could have a lot of small brands win and beat the big brands. I saw big brands fail. I saw big brands win. And I would say that shakeup of digital was really a key piece of that. And then going into the technology, you really can pull it all together. Like I have great empathy. There should be no brand that ever hits the brand graveyard because when a brand fails, it's not just a brand. They've disappointed thousands, maybe millions of customers. It affects factory makers, sewers, sample makers. Like it's really a human business. And when it fails because people didn't have the right information or made the wrong decisions, 
I saw that before I got to edit and it was heartbreaking. I mean, some of these companies that have come and gone in New York, 11, 12,000 people, and that's just New York. There's a whole context here to where I think watching technology to help people keep the art of what they do, but have the information they need to grow. It's more than a number for me. So obviously, you've witnessed a huge amount of change to this industry. And as you spoke to, the rise and fall of the greatest retail brands. So I guess on that note, you can't escape the news and the talks of an impending global recession. How are the challenges that retailers are facing today different maybe to those they faced back in 2008 during the global economic crisis? Yeah, I think it's interesting to compare to 2008, right? I think there's a couple of things notable in 2008. It was very fast. Everyone had such confidence in mortgages, in 100-year-old banks, and in the investing bankment system that nobody expected it would happen just so quickly. And then shock companies and business so that consumers, you know, you weren't going to be able to shop the same way, the job loss, et cetera. So I think the shock was quite high. Then if we go into our industry, it still was digital was not a high percentage of everybody's sales. It was growing and it was important, but digital was at an earlier stage. The influence of social media as a form of advertising and marketing was different. Mm -hmm. SEO and the ability of PPC was different. So a lot of elements were different so that when the crisis happened, if we look back, there weren't as many ways for retailers to talk to their customer, to stay in touch. A sudden drop in sales and you were really blind. You really didn't know what the customer would buy if they lost their job. There was a lot of turmoil. If we go to what's happening today, which is significantly a lot of turmoil, but let's point out some of the differences. So one, COVID also sudden and quite unexpected, mm -hmm. but it had very interesting impacts. So people at home, for several groups of the population around the world, they were absorbing media. They were in touch with their favorite brands. They may have been discovering new brands. They were also at home and in many countries. Now, this isn't true everywhere. So we have to have great empathy for the crisis this caused. But in many countries, there was a little bit to a high level of government help. But with a percentage of the population around the world able to write it out and absorb media, they stayed in touch with their brands. So the digital revolution accelerated at two to three times the rate for many brands. They went from 20% online sales and talking to their customer digitally versus in-store to 50, 60%. Some small startup brands just rode the wave and they were 80, 90% digital, maybe 100% digital and really pushed forward. In that sense, this crisis, brands didn't have to lose touch. And so when we talk about things that brands and retailers can do today, they cannot forget that they've got this connection if they want it and know how to use it with their customer. And they should absolutely stay in touch and share with them where they are, whether it's higher prices or why things are discounted or, you know, the next element, which we haven't talked about, which is supply chain. Supply chain disruptions are new this time. And that means what you wanted when you want it isn't quite there. And as customers, we got very like that was we related that to the brand and the brand can't control that now uh, to the same degree. Absolutely. So from what I'm hearing from you is there's 
you know, with the new increases in technology in that time, there are reasons to be hopeful and there's some positive takes that we can take from the situation that retailers may find themselves in. Yeah, I think the fact that we're in this difficult situation with the recession looming at a time when our industry in particular is ready to talk about customer centricity at a new level, Mm -hmm. that presents a whole new landscape because you can keep focused on your customer and now you have data that can help you learn more. You have ways to look at the trends and unpack it in ways to see things you didn't see before. And you have ways to stay in touch with your customer that you didn't have before. All three of those elements can help brands ride this out in a very different way than previous recessions. And I'm just curious, Juliana, are there any similarities that you're seeing? You know, we've spoken about the differences from now to 2008, but there are any similarities that you're seeing between uh, the times we're facing or potentially facing? Yeah, there's often a challenge where if you're a brand or a retailer and you hadn't started to approach customer centricity before this crisis... One of the things that happens in all crises is that if you had a weakness in process or were struggling with defining your brand or your authenticity, it gets worse in the process. (laughs) If you you go in, it's sort of like if you go in with a cough and then get COVID, it's going to get worse. Yeah. So it's absolutely the time that we are probably not at the worst of it, right? We're just at inflation. That if you haven't started to automate some of your processes Use data to learn a little bit more, the next level of detail of what your customer is shopping for, what the prices are of your competitors, how you compare globally, how you fit in the universe. Now's the time to prepare yourself uh, because you'll be stronger through the crisis and you'll be stronger coming out. Absolutely. And I think, you know, Ultimately, we've already started to see how some retailers are reacting, right? Recently, Louis Vuitton announced that they were going to be raising prices to combat these inflationary pressures. Um, I guess through your own experience, Juliana, and also the conversations that you have the opportunity to have with executives, how else are you seeing retailers tackle these pressures and how that they're seeing data impact those decisions as well? We've come off of 10, maybe it's 15 years of rewarding companies in their stock price, in their management systems on very fast inventory turns. Now, fast inventory turns for the consumer, you know what that means. That means the goods you want come in and maybe they sell out and go out. Um, you tried to sell it as fast as you could and you relied on supply chains that could deliver very quickly. Well, with supply chain disrupted and wanting to make sure that you had enough product to sell to hit your goals. A lot of brands already knew that their best sellers, the customer was voting for that, and that's where they should invest their inventory across sizes. That's where they should make sure, have some newness, but make sure that your best sellers are in stock. So when supply chain was harder, a lot of retail, a couple top brands made the decision to go deeper in weeks of supply to protect themselves, to make sure they never disappointed the customer. But this is a really interesting switch because on one hand, it's good for the customer if throughout supply chain, they can find the products they want in the size they want. On the other hand, it's kind of a a shift for our industry to see people go, we're going to allow there to be some capital investment in more weeks of supply of stock instead of maybe building that next store or spending the investment somewhere else. 
with digital being a higher percentage of sales and with data so you know what you should be buying this inventory in, exactly what sizes, exactly what color, so you don't get it wrong. It's not such a risk. It's creating this combination effect of insights, helping people make decisions that for businesses may be being deeper in their best-selling product, that best-selling running shoe, that best-selling handbag, that best-selling denim is where they should be doing that. And for customers, for many of them, that's where they want to spend and are willing to spend full price. If it's their absolute product they're looking for, to have it in their size, then all of a sudden these brands can do extended sizes if they want to. They can have the added color, the special feature. So this kind of change is where data and then reacting quickly to what was difficult, which is supply chain challenges um, and inflation, you can make better investments, better bets. Yeah, it's like truly understanding what the customer is voting for, but understanding the impact that that has on your business, right? And like, yeah. I think the accessibility of the types of metrics as well, right? Like not just necessarily your best sellers, but also your most profitable items as well, so that you can understand also what is the impact to your bottom line um, as a business ultimately. Let's say you're about to, your schedule says you're going to mark down this particular shoe at this time. Well, with supply chain disruption, you don't know, you need to know, is your competitor raising the price on that shoe when you're planning a markdown? Are they out of stock in key sizes? If you had that information, you would know whether you should mark down that product and impact your margin or not. So that's where really market data can make a huge difference because you have to make these decisions um, if the stock isn't going to sell, you have to make those decisions quickly. Absolutely. And are you seeing the way that retailers are reacting now maybe different to the way that re- retailers reacted back in 2008, you know, where we saw the kind of slashing of prices and the heavy discounting? You know, I think the jury's still out on that one. Um, you know, there's just been some earnings call this week that some very major big box retailers are predicting some lower uh, earnings because of some heavier markdowns. I think one difference that I would like to point out before everyone thinks everything's going to be on sale is, again, it's in the details. Some of the big box stores have been reporting that it's some things that they bought inventory on that was really top selling during COVID. Like think about all the home office materials or extra Your comfort. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So comfort, sit on the couchware, outdoor furniture, and then supply chain hit. So just as a lot of these really smart retailers were making sure this product was available for customers post pandemic, some of it delivered late. So I think what people might see is there will be some heavier markdowns. I don't think they're going to see it across all categories versus I think in 2008, we saw several brands have to mark down everything. And I think now with a combination of supply chain disrupted particular stock levels, right? With you have the information to know what the customer is still looking for, that you're going to see heavier markdowns on some categories than others. And I think that's smart because... The more brands can protect their margins, the less they have to pass on through higher prices and inflation. I guess that leads me quite nicely to like 
key recommendations that you would maybe offer to retailers, you know, in terms of strategies to win during periods of financial uncertainty? Um, I know we've spoken a lot about customer centricity. Could you tell us a little bit more about um, why that's such an important focus? For periods right now? Yeah, example. I mean, let's pick one of our favorite examples, like loyalty programs, because all of us in the industry or out of the industry, we're all consumers. And I think one of the great thoughts that's been out there for a long time is if you are a gold star customer mm-hmm. with your favorite footwear brand, and then you walk into their store, they don't recognize you, you are immediately disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> so retailers and brands have had to find some really creative ways to make sure that at every point, online, in store, at a pop-up store, on your phone, at every place, that if you're a top customer, you feel like a top customer. Yeah. So we as customers and consumers know that matters. If you're going to make me sign up for a loyalty program, treat me well. Yeah. Like, you know, everyone loves that free gift right at checkout. Okay, now let's unpack what this means during inflation. So it actually means a lot. So one of the things we like to talk about is if you're managing like your conversion rate on the website and you're very excited that you're humming along and your website business looks healthy. You actually need to know at the customer level, you need to know what they're looking at, but you also need to know, is this VIP customer converting and buying at the highest rate? Because they should be. And in fact, the average is 30% higher than a new customer. So are you doing everything you can? You already have that customer and now times are hard. So If you take care of them and know what they want, they're more likely to buy full price or at the smaller discount. And then at the same point, when new customers come in, do you know what they're looking at? And are you in stock on that? Loyalty programs, I think, uh, is a key tool. If you don't have one, build one. Uh, And in many cases, it's around service. It doesn't have to be around deeper discounts. It's really about treating your customer so they feel very welcome. And I think, yeah, right, when you're at the water cooler and you hear people say they bought something, right, <laughs> at this retailer versus that one, the story that usually comes out is the person who had great service, the person who they just explained what it was. They made it easy. Another example, if you have to charge for returns, yes, be fair in the price, be clear And then make it easy. If the customer's paying, but you save them time, you take the stress out, then maybe that return process is a win-win for both of you. That kind of thing. I feel like there's super interesting takeaways as well for the consumer, right? Like sign up to a VIP program because the likelihood is there are going to be some key initiatives or opportunities for you to benefit. That's right. um, In the coming months. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And then if the brand knows about you directly, there might be ways that your favorite color or size, you know, again, it depends on the brand. But yes, those, those kinds of programs can be beneficial to the customer too. Um, I think pricing is going to be a key element. And Grace, we talk about this, well, all day long, right? And the, I don't think there's one size fits all. If you do have excess inventory that is specific to COVID or late arrivals in supply chain, I think the retailers that can afford it want to mark that down, mark it down quickly while customers are looking for value. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I think that's great. If you can do 
a price point that is a fair opening price point, again, reflects what the customer wants. I think that's going to lead to, again, it can connect to your branding as being an authentic brand, but the customer will be like, there's a fair price. It kind of contributes to your authenticity. Mm-hmm. And we've seen a lot of brands, if they've had to raise prices, offer an explanation, you know, kind of go, the prices of cotton is higher, which is true. We've had supply chain challenges. We wanted to keep our jobs. We want to stay sustainable and then be very fair. I think there's going to be a risk for brands that over-raise the price in an era where we're talking about inflation. If you have to raise your price, you have to raise your price. These are challenging times and costs are up, but you've got to be fair and make sure you know what's happening. Yeah, and do your due diligence, right? Like understand how how is your pricing reflected in the market? That's right. Um, you know, and I guess that's the beauty of the technology that's available currently that you're able to be able, you know, to understand how is that product priced elsewhere um, so that you're able to understand how that might impact your customer's perspective of you as a brand and and their shopping habits. We do not live in isolated times. No. (laughs) If you're thinking about that, you've got to raise your price, make sure you know what's happening internationally and with your competition. And when it comes to technology as well, how would you recommend retailers invest in times like these? Well, I think the data science and there's lots of options. We, of course, think edited is the best. Um, (laughs) But I think the idea is what can you understand about what's happening in the marketplace quickly? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, a lot of buys, even at top brands where I was working, we were doing it on spreadsheets and gut instinct. If you save that gut instinct and the art for beautiful designs and reading the tea leaves and colors Mm -hmm. um, and use the data to go, how have your size curves changed? How quickly does this customer reorder it? What's happening with the competition? What's happening globally? Uh, you're in a much better position. We've had several retail partners talk about, they know they wanted to do something new. Like, was it their time to get into athletic wear? You know, and you're reading about stuff like this all the time, like luggage companies that are now going to offer sporting apparel, Uh, shoe companies that are now going to offer running gear. Those are great bets, but use data insights uh, so that you know what's happening. You know what's already out there. You know the prices it plays at. You know the consumer attracts. Um, so you can succeed. And in terms of obviously availability, we know that we've heard from a lot of our you know, executives of our clients and also what we're hearing from within the industry. And you alluded to this earlier, Juliana was obviously kind of ensuring that you're in stock in your best sizes. Can you tell us a little bit more about the best strategies when it comes to availability? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things. So one, if you can protect your margins using some of the pricing techniques we've talked about or how you launch your product, then That has an impact on how you can invest in your inventory, right? And availability is a little bit the holy grail, the right product, the right customer, and now for many products, the right size and the right color. So if you have at your hand more than just what was selling in one region, but you actually can look at the trends in the marketplace on color, the trends in the marketplace on what other brands are selling knowing what to put where and how to connect it to the marketing and the trends in the marketplace is so hard. If the data is at the fingertips about what the customer is voting for, then the brand can mix 
the art of what they do with these techniques for customer centricity. You know what the customer wants, so you know how to get the right product in the right place at the right time. You might not be able to control all your supply chain issues, but your information's better. You're not going to waste any percentage of your inventory on something predestined to fail or be slow. To wrap up, like what is the one thing you would love our listeners to take away from this episode? All right. Well, we are all consumers, inside or not. So this is the consumer moment. So don't get discouraged if you see prices going up or markdowns that are confusing. I think this is a moment for consumers to tell brands what they're thinking, ask for the sizes that they need, tell them who they are. And part of that is voting for the brands that treat them well. And I think for the data scientists working in retail and for the incredible retail customers we work with who are really amazing, being part of helping them be customer centric is a better experience for them. They they really want to spend more time with their customers and deliver what they want. So it's a win-win. It's the customer moment. And data can help you do that as a retailer and it can help the consumer communicate with what they what they really need. Amazing. Well, Juliana, thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you for listening to our latest episode of the Edited Inside Retail podcast. And huge thanks to today's guest, Juliana Prather, Chief Marketing Officer here at Edited. To see more of the insights that Edited has, check out the link in the description of this episode. I'm Grace Hill, and I'll see you next time. Goodbye.